Starting this fall, amazing local educators will be recognized with the launch of Superior Educators. This collaboration between several local school personnel and the Portage Health Foundation is meant to celebrate the people who make our area schools a great place to learn and grow. All educators at K-12 public schools in Barraga, Houghton, Keweenaw, and Otsunagan counties are eligible, including bus drivers, teachers, support staff, and more. Nominate a Superior Educator you know at superioreducators.org. Welcome into Copper Country today on Sunday, January 16th. Hopefully you're having a great weekend. I'm Grant Ducetto. My first guest is Doug Harr from up in Calumet. We're talking Copper Dog 150. This program brought to you by the Portage Health Foundation. You can learn more at phfgive.org. I guess we'll start with your involvement with Copper Dog. I know that you have had some various posts as far as the uh, village government up in Calumet. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you get roped into Copper Dog all those years ago? Uh, About 14 years ago, I was uh, serving on the village council, and uh, we had a gentleman, uh, Tom Tickenen, actually came to our our, uh, meeting and said that there was an interested party in starting a sled dog race in Calumet, and if anyone would be interested. And of course, when you have something like that, you know, that you don't know anything about, everyone sits pretty quiet around the table. Um, and, uh, we started asking some questions about, you know, what time of year it would be. And, and they said the, you know, the first weekend of March or the last weekend in February after thinking about it, you know, I, I used to run a business with my folks up in Copper Harbor and I, and I know when snowmobile season starts dying off, it's about that time. Uh, I thought it was something that could be good for the area. Um, and, uh, I raised my hand and, uh, actually it turned out. Uh, over the years, especially the first couple of years, I actually enjoyed being on that board more than uh, doing political stuff in Calumet. So uh, I, I stuck with both for a while. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I've been with the uh, Copper Dog for all 13 years now. So in those first couple of years, when you're starting from scratch, you're coming into this, you don't really know anything about dog sled races. What did you learn and how did you learn it? Well, you know, the interesting thing was the first year, uh, you're right, we knew nothing. I, I, I didn't know anything about dog sled racing. Um, I felt comfortable putting on an event. My first job that I did during the Copper Dog weekend was I was the Calumet hooker. Um, don't take that the wrong way. Um, but that is, uh, that is a job where, uh, you basically sit on your knees at the start gate and it's four, three, two, one, and you lift this hook off of the wire cable that goes across our start gate. You hand it to the musher and off they go. Probably the hardest job I've ever done with Copper Dog, to be honest with you. I was, I was beat by the end of the day because I think we had, like 35 teams go out that day, and your ar- I went home, my arms were jello. But I also found out by volunteering and doing that, I became uh, very addicted to the sport uh, just doing that job. The next day I was doing road crossings, and uh, then it turned into year two where uh, a few of us that didn't know anything about it started understanding more. Um, so we were getting involved even more so, uh, and I believe uh, year two was the year that, uh, myself and Todd Broussard, uh, were race director and assistant race director. Um, we, we kind of joke around, uh, we, we joke around all the time about it. Um, 
Todd's at Calumet Electronics now, and he's not involved as much with the Copper Dog. But we always said the the reason why, you know, the mushers would always ask, man, why is your race so good? You know, you, you treat us like gold, you know, you're playing music for us and announcing our dogs, and, and it's just a fun weekend. You know, we used to answer and say the reason for that is because we have no clue about sled dogs, but we know how to run a good event. Mm-hmm. So, and then you just learn over the years, over the 13 years, I've, I've learned a lot. I've gone to different, uh, musher kennels, um, to see the aspect of what they do so we could gel the two together. In those first couple of years, what was the uptake like from the musher community? Was it mostly locals who participated or did you get people coming from across the Midwest, maybe across the country right away? Yeah, we've had over the years. We have our our, our local mushers, uh, Jerry Trudell and and Susan Serafini and Tom Bauer. Um, you know, they all live around this, real close to this area. And then uh, we started uh, getting some people from Marquette. Um, we had some Wisconsin and Minnesota people come. And then as we started making more of a name for ourselves, we started seeing uh, mushers from out west come. Uh, as far as Oregon, Washington, Canada. Uh, we've had uh, Ryan Reddington, uh, whose grandfather started the Iditarod in uh, uh, Alaska. That was kind of cool to have him here because he was a, you know, a bigger name musher um, coming from Alaska. So, um, yeah, we've really had uh, some good good uh, mushers come to our you know to our race and and uh it's been exciting to see you mentioned the iditarod obviously that's the gold standard when you're talking dog sled races it's the yep. one that everybody knows even if they don't know anything else about the sport yep. but here in this area you got the up 200 and now you have the capper dog 150 was it difficult to differentiate between those two events just to make sure that you gave people a reason to participate in a fairly new one compared to the one that was already established. Yeah, so one of the things that we didn't understand at first, and now we understand, of course, is we some races are Iditarod qualifiers and some aren't. Um, you have the UP200 who has the 200-mile race, um, and that is an Iditarod qualifier. What sets it as an Iditarod qualifier is... Um, there's got to be a checkpoint out there where the musher has to uh, go to this checkpoint, sleep, and not have um, any handlers help them. No, none of their other people can help them. They're on their own, um, just like they do in the Iditarod. So that's that's for a musher, uh, usually a 12-dog team or larger. Um, and the reason why that is important is they are a, a kind of a slower racing team. Um, generally, you know, in, my, in miles per hour, you know, they're probably doing nine, 10 miles an hour. Also the UP 200, they do what's called the midnight run. Uh, now you're, you're doing a smaller team, like an eight dog team. Um, you're going a little bit faster. Um, that is not an Iditarod qualifier. And then they have their sprint race. So there's like three or four different types of races out there for speed and, and for long distance and, and real fast speeds. I mean, we, in our short race last year, we had Ben Thompson was, I think, averaging 16 miles an hour, uh, which is quick on a dog sled, you know, especially for, 
you know, 12 miles. You know, that's an average speed. So that's pretty good. So our race is not uh, uh, the John Bear Grease in uh, uh, Duluth, uh, another Iditarod qualifier. We just haven't added the miles on to our race because we're a 150 where we can do something like that. And, and we really didn't go through the identity crisis of trying to decide, do we want to be an Iditarod qualifier or not? We've known all along that we're not going to be an Iditarod qualifier. Um, so it's kind of cool to see that we still get some of the big names that, that race our race. But if it's a musher that's planning on running the Iditarod, they're definitely going to the UP 200 or the Bear Grease because they have to get so many races in before they can run that race. Maybe you can go over the different races that are available. I know there's at least two of them. And how did you decide on what that format was going to look like and what has been the participation for both and the input from the participants? Yeah, so, so our big one and the one where you can win the most money is our 150, and that's a three-day race. Um, you know, basically you take the 150 miles, you break it into, you know, divide it by three and you get, you know, 50 miles each day. However, um, we've never, believe it or not, even though we call ourselves a 150, we're actually like a 137, uh, but that doesn't sound as good. Copper dog 137. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that that works. Doesn't have the same ring to it. Right. We've tried, um, for a year, we came close. I think we were 148 miles one year, and that was playing out at the the uh, tip of the Keweenaw Peninsula. Up so up, all the way out to High Point? Ba- basically all the way to High Rock, yeah, and uh, uh, out by Keystone. So <clears throat> we played a lot on, on those trails, but uh, the hard part is you have to groom the trails uh, because it's not groomed by, uh, you know, the, the KTS. So, you know, sometimes when we do something like that, we have to groom our own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, our other race is the Copper Dog 80. That's a two-day race. Uh, that's uh, an eight-dog team, and then we and that's more of a, a little bit of a quicker, you know, pace race. We, we haven't been doing the short race as long. It's more like a sprint race. It's a one-day race, um, and uh, it's it's you know anywhere from 20 to 12 miles. Um, last year we had to shorten it up to about 12, 12 to 14 miles, if I remember correctly, um, just because of COVID, we just, you know, had to scale it back and, and not have as big of crowds last year. So, but this year we're bringing the crowds back. Excellent. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. The mushers and the dogs that are, uh, pulling the sleds, do you have to know like the average age of the, of the pets and maybe the most common breeds that they that they use? That, that's entirely up to the musher for the age. Um, generally, I'm going to guess, you Probably know. Probably in that three to five range? No, I, I, I know some dogs that have been eight and nine oh, okay. that have run, but but some, some, you know, some mushers don't. You know, it all depends on how the dog is, you know, handling that particular mileage that they're doing. To a musher, a dog is definitely a family member. They're, they're very particular about making sure that that dog can do the miles. And if they can't, then sometimes they retire them to the retired yard or, you know, they'll, they'll uh, bring them in as a house pet or they'll, they'll give them away to a good home. But they make sure that they find the right people. Uh, they just don't give them away. Oh, yeah. I know that Michigan Tech now has a mushing uh, club. Mushing club. Do they happen to have 
participants in the copper dog ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, uh, they just had some uh, kids racing the Tequamanon race, which was, uh, I believe, last weekend. Um, and uh, uh, they work with uh, Tom Bauer and Sally out of uh, Tapiola, uh, their uh, Otter River uh, sled uh, sled company. And they... Uh, um, they have been, uh, open arms to these kids and, you know, the, the sled dog community kind of says it's a, it's a dying breed a little bit. Um, you know, people aren't playing with dogs more. They're playing with their cell phones, you know? And, and, uh, um, so when Tom and Sally figured they could work with this, you know, club that of kids that were interested, why not? You know, I mean, let's get these kids hooked. And uh, every, every one of these young adults that I've talked to, because they've been to our race as well, and they do the UP200 and the Bear Grease, um, every one of them, there's usually two or three of them racing. I think they each get a race to do. Every one of them are just addicted, and they absolutely love it. You know, because it takes a lot of work. You know, they're, they're out at Tom and Sally's, and I hate to say it, but you're picking up poop couple times a day you're, you're feeding the dogs a couple times a day um you're running the dogs and it's a tough job that they have you know it's and and and, and they have a regular you know for for tom and sally they have a daytime job too so it's a huge commitment mm-hmm. you mentioned that the race course has changed over the years sometimes it's a little bit longer other times it goes back to that 137 ish range I know Calumet is always involved, especially at the beginning, has been their big part. How have the communities reacted to this race, and how have they embraced it now that they kind of know what it brings as far as economic benefits? They uh, get disappointed if we don't come, you know, really. Um, You know, uh, we've had, uh, let's just go a couple years ago in uh, 2020, our 150 ran from from, uh, Calumet to Eagle Harbor. Our 80 ran from Calumet to Eagle River, Michigan, not Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) And our uh, short race, our Copper Dog 25 is what we call it, uh, that ran from Calumet to Gay. And that was their finish. Last year, uh, we didn't start in Calumet the board decided that it would be best uh, due to to the you know new outbreak with covid that we probably shouldn't risk having 3000 people in downtown Calumet all bunched up together um, so we started the race all, all races were well the 150 I take that back the 150 and the 80 started in Eagle Harbor and we went to Copper Harbor and then then back to uh, Eagle Harbor and finished uh, so we stayed in kind of quieter communities. Uh, so of course, Eagle River didn't have us, and Gay didn't have us last year, and and uh, they were bummed. Uh, this year, uh, the communities that are going to be involved, we scaled it up just a little bit. Not we're not at full strength, shall we call it? Um, we're doing Calumet for just the 150 this year, mm-hmm. um, and then on Saturday we're running the. Uh, 150 and the 80 from Eagle Harbor to Copper Harbor, and the 25 will be run from Copper Harbor back to Copper Harbor on Saturday afternoon. So last year with COVID, 
and the changes that took place, did you find that you did anything that you can now use going forward? Any of the adaptations that were made last year, are you going to keep them, you know, in upcoming races? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that we found is one of the things that we would do on Friday before the start of the, the race was we would do a big uh, pasty dinner um, before the bib draw for the mushers. And uh, we're not doing that this year. Uh, we figured that was something that we really didn't need to do. After that was over, then they had what they call the musher meeting with the officials. Um, and uh, we're going to do that this year, but it's going to be at our start gate outside just because we, you know, we don't need to tie them up at the uh, uh, Calumet Theater is where we used to do it. Um, the other thing that we're not doing this year uh, that we've done in years past is uh, our banquet at the end of the day. Um, you know, that draws anywhere from about 150 people. And we're not going to do that this year as well. Just uh, so our award ceremony is basically outdoors in Eagle Harbor when we finish on Sunday. Obviously, there's a lot of volunteers who are helping to make this event happen, but it's still got to cost money. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that there's probably a, a entrance fee for the mushers involved. Yeah. How do you actually fund Capridon? So um, generally what we do is the entry fee for the musher goes right to our purse. Um, then we have a sponsorship committee that goes around and uh, wants to see if anyone's interested in uh, supporting Copper Dog, which we have absolutely wonderful sponsors out there. Basically, without our sponsors and without our volunteers, our volunteers are, are near and dear to our heart, um, without them, we're, we have nothing. You know, there there is no race. We have to raise our money through our sponsorship, and and it costs about sixty thousand to run our race. There's a lot of things involved. You know, from we always joke around with the guys up in uh, Calumet from the DPW. You know, they're pulling the snow off the road all the time. You know, every day. You know, because we get so much snow up here, and then uh, that one day a year, they have to take. And, and I always ask for clean snow. How do you get clean snow? They're, they're used to that now, so they have places where they know it's clean snow. And they fill up their dump trucks, and they bring it back into town on 5th Street, and they dump it in the road. And then uh, we have a contractor come to smooth it out, and the groomer smooths it out. And that's always an interesting thing. So we always joke about it, you know, that, you know, they're always taking the snow out of town, but that one day a year, they're bringing it back in. And I know there are certain lots around here for Winter Carnival. If we happen to have a down year, they need clean snow that they can haul exactly. into campus. So it's probably a similar principle. Speaking of that um, potential factor, you're talking March, and even up here, some years, that first week in March, it might be above freezing, and we might not have as much snow on the ground as we would normally have. What types of situations have you run into, and how do you tackle some of those issues? Well, year one, I remember uh, the snow road was in, and we were setting up the start gate, and uh, I was involved with that. That's This is like uh, about 8 till noon time, and I was absolutely drenched because it was raining that day. Um, our snow road held, 
but we couldn't run the whole race that year. We had to end it in Mohawk instead of coming back to Calumet because it was a safety issue. You know, uh, we always use the term uh, happy, healthy dog makes a happy, healthy musher. And uh, the dogs are number one, you know, and we need to make sure that they're safe. And that first year with the rain, which turned out to be around the same time of year, you know, was a problem. Um, but we always have a contingency plan. Um, over the past few years, we've been running the end of February just because the way the calendar dates have worked out. What a lot of people don't realize is the UP200 is usually the weekend of Valentine's Day or thereabouts, real close to there. This calendar year, it's after Valentine's Day, just a few, I believe, a few days after Valentine's Day, which dated us out further. I mean, you know, we could run a race the week after. We choose not to. We choose to go two weeks after the UP200, uh, and they know that's what we do, so they make sure that they try to schedule their race, you know, so we can have that two-week gap. Uh, and the reason why we do that is we just want the dogs to be able to have their rest, you mm -hmm. know, and, and the musher can do their training. Yeah, I can imagine that doing roughly 350 miles, if you're trying to take part in the, the longer race. And you mentioned with the idea to ride qualifier that there's certain restrictions as far as the amount of help you can get and stuff. It's got to be exhausting for everybody involved that oh, yeah. you're doing it too close to each other. You just, it's going to be potentially dangerous. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like I said, you got to have happy, healthy dogs. That's the important part. We have, we have 14 veterinarians that come to our race that we bring in and uh, uh, veterinarians and uh, vet techs. So that's, that's, you know, a pretty good ratio of vets per, per dog. So um, uh, that's another reason why the mushers really like us is, you know, if it's, if it's warm out, you know, if it gets warm our weekend of, uh, you know, this year for the race, it's, it's the 4th, 5th, and 6th of, of March. And we know, we all know that, you know, it can get warmer out. So either sometimes we'll, you know, the, the vets will say, you know what, it's going to be a little too warm for these dogs to run. Uh, let's start an hour earlier. Logistically, uh, that becomes a problem sometimes because you have to get a hold of all your volunteers to make sure that they're at their roadside uh, coverage, you know, an hour earlier. Um, but we got a pretty good volunteer system going on right now, and Chrissy's, Chrissy Kovacic is doing a really good job with that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, and, and communicating to everyone is extremely important. And if people are really excited for the race this year, they have at least uh, perhaps an, an appetizer, so to speak, coming up on the 22nd in Calumet. You're going to be doing some dog sled rides, and then you're also going to have a spaghetti dinner, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, on uh, the 22nd at noon in Agassiz Park, uh, which is uh, right next to the football field, basically, uh, off of 4th Street, uh, we've been running for years now uh, free kids rides uh, where the kids will get on uh, Tom Bauer's team um, on, their, on their sled. They run two sleds. Uh, some of the MTU mushers will be there. Those kids will be there as well. And uh, they, uh, they give kids rides for uh, two hours. Uh, so that's from noon to two. Um, and then uh, this year we're doing what we did two years ago, and we're going to have a spaghetti dinner. It's a, a total fundraiser for the Copper Dog. Um, it's $10 uh, for your spaghetti, and, and all of us board members are making brownies, so that's the dessert. And uh, 
Um, we decided, you know, let's take a chance and do it this year. Um, all of us will be masked up. Um, and that's from one to five. Bob Hilton is playing from two to four upstairs in the bar at the Elks Club. And uh, when we're doing this, um, we're offering dine-in or takeout uh, for those that, you know, just don't want to be around groups of people. Uh, you can still go there, uh, come in, pay for your meal, and we'll bring your meal up to you. So you don't have to go down in the dining room and stuff. But no, it's it's really exciting. Uh, uh, John Koskinimi makes a killer spaghetti sauce. <laughs> um, I like to think that I make a killer spaghetti sauce. I'm I'm not a jar or a can guy. I'm I'm from scratch. But I tell you what, I got to steal his recipe. Oh, I crave his recipe. I really do. <laughs> so once we get to race day. You mentioned about 3,000 people are going to be in Calumet. What does that scene look like? You know, um, it, it's crazy. It, it, it's, it's, I call it organized chaos um, because people, you know, in Calumet, let's face it, where do you park? You know, and people are parking all over the place. And sometimes, matter of fact, we use uh, uh, the Houghton Rotary comes up and helps us police the road, uh, the snow road, because... Uh, we're bringing teams up to the line, you know, starting at seven o'clock on Friday night, and we still have people coming into town, walking in the way, and 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 these rotary people are trying to hold them back, and and I'm out there trying to get people, you know, out of the way because I've seen people get run over, you know, because once these teams are coming with their handlers, you know, we have we have four to five people helping bring these teams to the line. Once you start going and they're kind of jogging with the team, there's you're not stopping them that easily. So until you get to the Calumet Hooker, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but uh, yeah, um, it, it's pretty cool to see the first couple of blocks. You know, the first block, you've usually got people that are about four deep on each side. Um, and then you start getting down to... Uh, uh, the second block and you're about two people deep you know maybe three and and uh we've we've had mtu do like a case study of how many people and and we've been from two to three thousand people i don't know where we're going to be this year you know how 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 it's going to look because we took the year off um so sometimes you know you you lose some people but maybe not we'll see i'm hoping i'm hoping a lot of people come out and and uh you know have a good time we're still going to have our fireworks this year on friday night uh well after the teams leave the reason why we wait so long after the teams leave is because you spook the dogs you don't want to scare the dogs with the loud noises especially when they're going through a a road crossing Mm -hmm. you know that can be a little hairy so obviously the mushers probably enjoyed the stadium type atmosphere that you have at the start do the dogs pick up on that or is it something where some of them probably it plays into their favor, but others maybe they get a bit nervous, and it's probably just a stage they're not used to. Yeah, um, it, it, it is actually a beautiful thing to see. Um, we uh, basically you're bringing this team to the line, and and these dogs, you know, uh, are just built to run. You know, they just want to go. And if you look at some of the pictures or some of the videos that we have on our website, you'll see dogs just going boing. You know, they're just all four legs straight up in the air, you know, and and the handlers are holding on to the line and the dogs are barking like crazy. And then we bring the 
the musher all the way to the start gate and 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 they're tied into the uh, start gate you know waiting for their countdown and the dogs probably hear their name and the musher hears their name but be- as they're coming to the start gate their start shoot song we call it a start shoot that's the starting gate is the shoot mm-hmm. um, that they're they have a song uh, that we ask them to pick the musher does it's like a walk-up song in baseball at the stadium exactly and if they don't pick a song we we tell them either you pick a song or we're going to pick one for you <laughs> and it's going to be and, and we tell them straight out it's going to be abba dancing queen so that's what they get um some of them like that and they do it but it's kind of it's kind of cool to see what different songs people pick you know country rock or or hip-hop so it, it it's 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 actually kind of cute you know but uh yeah the dogs pick up on it and and uh it, it's just it's the start is definitely if you haven't seen a start before you need to come out and check out a start because um more than likely you're going to get hooked and then you're going to want to volunteer that's what we find was it like that from year one or did it take a couple of years for things to grow into what they've become we have always, and we've been known as the race, to make the star of the race the musher and the dogs. Um, no other race does what we do with the, the, the walk-up song, as you called it. Um, we're, we're the only ones that do something like that. Um, and it's stuck. A lot of mushers love that because they're put in the spotlight, you know, and, and it's just they got all these people cheering for them as they're going down the snow road. You see mushers trying to high five people as they're going down the snow road. It's I always get nervous about that because I'm waiting for a musher to fall, you know. <laughs> but the the rule of thumb is you never let go of your sled. So they got one hand that's probably got a death grip on there. Obviously when you're in the middle of a race and you're a musher, you are looking at various things usually in your immediate vicinity, probably not able to take in the natural beauty maybe quite as much as you might hope. But at the same point I would guess that the course that is mapped out here in the Keweenaw perhaps presents some landscapes that they just don't get elsewhere. Yeah, um, it's really very hilly course, especially for the 150 this year. Uh, the hardest part is usually day one, Friday night. And the reason for that is we, we have so many road crossings. Um, that's when we have the majority of our volunteers out there is Friday, um, just because we're going down towards uh, Lake Linden, and we're crossing Trap Rock, and we're crossing, you know, all these post road, all these different roads. So we, so there's many, many road crossings. But then once they get across the, uh, uh, what I call the Mohawk Gay Road, um, and they start heading towards the snow thermometer, uh, that's when they can settle in and start taking it in, um, you know, with their headlamps. Um, it becomes very beautiful at that point. Uh, it's fun at night doing a road crossing because when you're at that road crossing, uh, the dogs are amped up at the start, but once they start running, you hear nothing but their mouth, you know, breathing, panting. You can always tell if a team has stopped because if a musher stops their team because they got a tangle or they, they got a tent to a dog or something, the dogs start barking right away because they just want to keep going. <laughs> um, but uh, Saturday... A lot of the mushers really like that route from Eagle Harbor to Copper Harbor. Very beautiful landscape. Tough climb out of Eagle Harbor coming up that hill out of there. Uh, They sure do like coming back on Sunday because it's all downhill. (laughs) 
Doug Hart, thank you very much for stopping by and chatting with me for Copper Country today. I appreciate it. And Doug would like to express sincere gratitude to the volunteers and sponsors who help make Copper Dog 150 happen every year. 